We now proudly present part two of our special three-part series as we interview former FBI agent and author John Douglas. You can find part one at our website, ontariospca.ca slash podcasts, spelt P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T-S. Please be aware that this episode of Animals Voice Podcast contains stories and content which may be graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. So it sounds to me like there's a challenging definition. Do you know what the elevator speech is? You know, in, in organizations, they say you need the elevator speech so that if you get on the elevator, you can explain the vision or mission of your company in 30 seconds or whatever. Is there an elevator speech for what criminal profiling is? If, if you bump into someone on the street and they say, what's criminal profiling? Do you have that encapsulized? Because it sounds to me it's like it's an enormous no, it's, uh, definition. Yeah, it's an enormous definition because when we first started, it was pretty much profiling. It was just profiling and nothing else. But but as and I told the group here, it's really investigative tools from the crime scene to the courtroom. But it's a behavioral it's a behavioral analysis of a of a crime, whether it's a homicide, any kind of crime. It could be a bomb threat against against a bank or something like that. And, and so it's a behavioral analysis of that, of, of the crime, and based on what you're trying to do with the analysis, come to a, a, an offender profile, a type of a offender who would perpetrate this crime, and either reinforce the police investigation that you are going on the right track, uh, or you've got to tell them to refocus, refocus the investigation. That's not the type of person you should be looking for based upon my experience and, and whatever. And that doesn't always go over well, you know, by the way, but, but that, in a nutshell, I mean, that's what it is. It's kind of a thumbnail sketch, but, but it is complicated, and, um, and so I, I had a, I've trained so many people over the years, and some do really well, and, and some don't get it. Some, some can't do interviews in prisons. They get too angry uh, at the offender when they, when they realize, particularly child killers, and, yeah. and they, uh, you, you know, I had guys got crazy, and, and I listened to the tapes. I wasn't with them. And they just they just can't do it. Uh, the the uh, I did this myself though. You, a lot of times you bring the work home with you. I, I, and this is what I wanted yeah. to ask you about: How do you find the off button yeah, when hard. you're when you're sitting interviewing Charles Manson or or yeah. you know and and you're trying to win their trust and listen to them without showing your disgust or your judging of the what they've done? How do you go home at the end of the day and it, and not have that? Filling your head. It, it's it's tough, and, and and right before the time in 1983, before I got sick, I mean, I was I was jogging, I was jogging, running, you know, just to try to tire myself out. I'd come home, uh, then I just had, I had three children, but then I just had two two girls, and I'd go into a room to kind of uh, decompress. But what things that happened, uh, there was a time, it's really, and you come across as one aloof SOB to your, to your wife and family. As my, my wife was in the kitchen cutting uh, some uh, bread, and her two daughters were there, like three and eight at that time. And she accidentally cut her hand with the, with the bread knife. And as she cut her hand, she, her hand went out. And what she did is she casted the blood on the wall. So I went right into forensic mode. <laughs> went into forensic mode, and I, and what I did was I said, "See, kids, now you see how your mother." She did it a couple of times. Every time she throws a hand out, you see that, that blood splatter. Now, if, if something happened to your mother, you know, and this was a case and she died, what I 
be able to do in a case like this would be able to determine from the cast off the position she was in when she was stabbed, maybe determine the you know, type of knife, but we'd be able to you know, do all that in distance. And, and so as you're, you're saying this, you know, you know, your wife now is ready to turn a knife on you. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, would you shut up? Right. Like, give me a, yeah. a Band-Aid. I cut yeah. my head. I know. Yeah, so you could, uh, and then with my kids, my kids, when I would go away, they would have their friends come over because yeah. I kept all these, then with slides, you know, and I was in PowerPoint. Yeah. Have all these slides, crime scene, because I, I mean, I was doing so many cases, I do them at home. <clears throat> so what they did, would have to do bring the kids over to the Chamber of Horrors and bring them down into the basement. I would find out later on, and looking at all my crazy photographs of homicides and, and all, of, all of that stuff, you know, so, I mean, and then, and then it affected you too. I mean, uh, it, it, it's just that yeah, things, you know, well, yeah, our daughter, you know, broke her hand, or I said, I just saw an arm that was, you know, taken off a body or something like that. It's hard. So you had to start balancing your life, but it was it was really hard. I was just so inundated. I didn't have the 12 people. I didn't have all this help. I was trying to develop a new tool. The agent in charge of the, of, uh, the office, this assistant director said, John, you know, doing a tremendous job, but you know, you, you got to pretty much drop before you, know, you get anything. You know, you know the bureau, how, how it is. And then, and then sure enough, uh, right after in the Atlanta child killings, I was, I was doing so many cases, the Yorkshire Ripper case, a guy hunting uh, women up in Alaska. I'll be showing that case uh, today, the, the Green River murder, plus other little cases. And uh, it just, it, it just kept coming up. Plus, I'm a hostage negotiator. I get calls at nighttime, uh, and we got this guy in uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, he just shot uh, someone in a hotel. Uh, he, he's locked up now. He's out in the wood, wooded area. What do you think? And I'm sitting up in bed. It's all, it's, it's a full moon. I said, well, I have a full moon here. You got a full moon down there. You know, don't go in now. You got to wait, you know, and, and, you know, wait till dawn and, and, and gave him strategies, you know, how to do this. But, but man, you can't, you can't sleep. Plus the other thing that, that probably drove me crazy to, at, the, at the time was I, 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 I still do it. I, I force myself to think about the case before I go to sleep. You do? Yeah, oh, I do. Uh, all the time. I make myself think about the case that whatever I'm working on, mm -hmm. you know, um, before to come up, see if I can come up with ideas. It's just ideas. And I can write down, you know, ideas before I, I go to bed. And, uh, and then I kind of, it's kind of where I kind of wake up like at around three o'clock in the morning sometimes, times too. And I'll just write stuff, you know, down. Yeah, you know, not all the time, but if I don't do it, I'll just, just forget about it. And that's what I really began to develop some neat, you know, like proactive kind of techniques to, you know, to try to, have, you know, catch people. And uh, But, you know, it, it this... So it sounds to me like you're always on the clock. You're always on the clock. I, I don't yeah. feel like your mind that is FBI profiler yeah. and solving cases, working yeah. cases... I don't feel like you have a vacation from that. Yeah, but I'm not like one of these. You say, like, look, you'll meet like, like I'll say, me, Kevin, and Kevin will say, now, John, are you profiling me? Are you? Pro or I'll go to a party. My wife, are you profiling? Me? <laughs> I said, no. I said, I could give her a darn. Say, I don't even care about you. I don't care. Yeah. I just give me my drink. I'm having a drink. <laughs> but they think you're profiling 24 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, you certainly. I mean, I'll, I'll certainly. Like do certain things. I'm flying. I was on a flight recently. I was able to pick out the U.S. Marshal. Uh, you were. The, oh yeah, as U.S. Marshal. I tried to I, do that I, all the time. I was. I was <laughs> another flight. I was able to pick them out before I even got on the plane. Really? Because there was a bunch of them together. They all had the same kind of knapsack, and, and they were talking together. And they're kind of chucking and jiving, like the government guys. And, and then one of them went over, and, and what, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to bump up his to get a first class ticket. Yeah. And it worked. So he comes back with, with it, and he goes to the other guys, and, and he's making. 
I got it. So another guy goes up and tries to get it and doesn't get a first class ticket. But he was already, you know, given it. He gave himself, uh, he gave himself away. So if I, I, I can pick it up. You know, anyone's trained can pick it up on this one. Yeah. Or I'm sitting with this guy on a plane, and and he's and he, he's a young guy. He's young. And he says, "Bring the food. Same old, same old." You know, same old, same old. And his and his contact with the flight attendant, I could tell this guy does there's a lot of flying there, with flying with this crew too. Mm -hmm. And the same old, same old means he's, he gets the same food, same food. Yeah. And then he makes a mistake. He gets up and he goes to the bathroom and he leaves his drink behind. Now, if I was a bad guy, I put something in that uh, drink and he's, he's it's over. Uh, you know, so it just so I'll do things like that, or or <laughs> or more so when I nah, I still do that. If I'm out like walking the dog or some walking my dog and and I, I see a spot, and I say, man. This would be one hell of a disposal site, and, and, and it would it would be very difficult for the law enforcement to find anyone yes. here. It's tough you know, to, to find so. So I'll you know, I'll, I'll do some things like like that. that yeah. uh, Your listeners will be saying this guy is nuts. No, right? I just I feel like you you have subject matter expertise in such a unique area, and I can see that. I could see you walking the dog, and instead of like me thinking, yeah. oh, I hope Sophie doesn't poop on this neighbor's lawn. Yeah. What you're observing are things based on your yeah. life experience and the thing you know so yeah, I, I yeah. get I get it yeah I, I'm not sure I, I I don't think I feel bad for you because I'm <laughs> fascinated by what you do but uh, I, I want to ask you about are there characteristics uh, of violent criminals like uh, that are common for all of them yeah. do they have yeah. common characteristics yeah they're, they're uh, common characteristics of violent criminals that's one of the things we began to you know to see and uh, well, first of all one of those take the backgrounds yeah, sure. Very, most of them you really will find will come from a normal you know loving background. There's always some type of dysfunction there. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, uh, you know, psychological abuse. And then one of the things that we began to see when we started doing the research of serial killers, and serial killers, someone kills three or more mm -hmm. victims over over a period of time. There's gaps between the, the times, like the BTK Strangler, where I interviewed him. I mean, he went years between between cases before he before he killed. Mm -hmm. It was interesting why he stopped. But that's another story. But but then I began to see, and, and didn't create this, this was going back in the 60s, it was, but it was known as the homicidal triangle, right. which is the uh, the bedwetting, enuresis, but enuresis up... Not because of a biological, you know, reason. It's mostly emotional reason. There's, there's good indication this child may be, be, uh, you know, sexually, I mean, sexually abused, uh, physically abused in that, in that household. The other is is uh, arson, which fire setting. We should say a fire okay. setting. And a lot of times that fire setting is like, we, uh, it's the wrong term. They used to call it nuisance uh, fires. I mean, trash cans, abandoned abandoned houses. Uh, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer, who I, I've interviewed as well, said over 2,000 fires uh, documented uh, by his own personal diary, besides killing a dog, you know, too, during, that's what triggered the, uh, the, son, the son of Sam. And then the other thing, I mean, is, is the animal cruelty. And if there's, that is, to me, you know, that's the gateway. Yeah. The, the animal cruelty is the gateway. If you, if you see someone, uh, you know, abusing an animal, and particularly sadistically abusing an animal, and you see a young, see, I'm talking about young children too, uh, uh, if, if there's not any intervention very, very soon, I'll, I'll bet money that law enforcement is going to be going to be investigating him, you know, one day. 
and, and when I talk to like school teachers, they'll say, John, you're telling me things that I see right now in the classroom. So I always say, who good profilers are, are teachers. They can predict which kids in their class one day will be uh, perpetrating violent crimes. It's, it's other things too. It's just the delinquency, you know, like insubordination for the teacher. They could be the bully or they could be bullied upon. But when you get to the animal cruelty, this case in New York right now, some guy's killing dozens of cats and decapitating them. And, and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and if you see a young child you know, uh, doing this to small animals, I mean, that is definitely a precursor. So by the time I got to interview, they're already in jail. They're in, in prison. So you see guys, and, and almost without exception, it's not to say that everyone Everyone is going to, who fits that, that triangle, and they don't always have to have all three. They don't. Fire, no, fire setting is <clears throat> and arson. Uh, fire, fire setting and animal cruelty are the two big ones. Animal cruelty is really, really uh, big. But but of the ones of the people who who that I and my colleagues have interviewed, they had it. They had those uh, characteristics. But they didn't think anything of it. They didn't show any remorse about it. And, but then they elevated their aggression, you know, you know uh, later on. So did they tire? Did they tire of animal abuse just or evolve to, into to, wanting to abuse humans? Yeah, just, just just evolve, going to a higher form of uh, higher form of uh, of animal life. I mean, I got, I mean, I so many cases. I. Because I always have to wonder who my audience is. Because sometimes, I, I mean, there there are cases where um, I may tell this group. I don't know if I tell. I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I tell, okay. I mean, he, he, there's a um, a police officer on duty, and he he stops uh, a couple who's making out in a car, and he says, "Hey, kids, get me a move on. Get on your way." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah." But also, you got to go back. You know, just you know, 100, 200 yards. There's a guy back there. And and uh, see what he's doing. He's got a, he's got an animal in the uh, in there. He's got he's got uh, poultry poultry in his car. This guy. So the guy goes back, and you think this almost sounds like it's crazy, like it's uh, like I'm making this up. But the, the this was presented to us at Quantico. The officer goes back and sees this guy. This guy ha has a, a chicken in there, and and he's having some type of relations, sexual contact with this animal. With this bird, okay. So now, you, you, someone could bust this person. I probably will tell them in there. Someone will probably will, will, could bust this person and, and say, "Well, it's it's an animal, you know, bestiality, you know, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's a chicken, you know, whatever." Yeah. But when they did a search of his house, they found uh, tapes. They found found uh, uh, videotapes. He was videotaping what he was doing too in the car. He had a video set, set up, videotapes. But in the videotapes with the audio. What you heard him saying was he wasn't talking about animals. He was talking about people. He was talking about women, what he was doing, what he wants to do to women, you know, sexually. And it was grotesque. I mean, these animals, some of them were decomposed. And, and so when, you, when they come to you and they ask you, what about this guy? I said, well, this isn't, this is, you've got a totally different being here. I mean, this guy... Is, is not going to be satisfied doing what he's doing now. Someday there'll be a trigger. And he's still young enough. He was like in his, his like early 30s. We'll see a transition here, you know, with him. If you don't do anything, you know, it's to him. And, and what, what can you do? I, I don't know. I don't know if and by that time if any counseling at all will, uh, will help. It's, it's a shame. Wow. It's it almost, they're pretty well set. When 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 uh, their personalities are pretty well set. When you're talking, even it's a shame when you're talking about to get into high school, even starting middle school, that, that personality is beginning to to shape, to firm up, to, firm up. Yeah. You, you know, if you if you haven't intervened by that point, yeah, you, it, they're gonna, it's going to be uh, you know trouble coming down the uh, the line. 
Thank you for tuning in to part two of our special three-part series interviewing former FBI agent and author John Douglas. Keep your eyes peeled as we release the third and final part of the series soon.